Welcome back to the Society Case Files podcast. My name is Robert and I'll be your host. Today I want to talk about the controversial topic of editing and I'm also going to talk about the Malevolence role-playing game which is coming along very nicely and nearly done and ready for some playtesting. I'm going to just dive right in to the big one and that is editing. Editing is a controversial topic because so many people have a lot of opinions about how we should go about it and how clean a document should be and what it should look like and so on and so forth. And what's interesting is that oftentimes I see people get into this argument and they seem to have an opinion that everything should be absolutely perfect. I'm not sure that's what they mean, but just the sort of language and posture they take makes that suggestion. And in reality, very little is perfect, especially when it comes to books that exceed 60,000 words. It's very difficult for anyone to come out with a typo or some some mistake that, that slips by. A great example is the Dune series. I've read the original Dune series from Frank Herbert. It was on its who knows how many printings at that time. And I still found an error. It was a small one. It may not have even been an editing error. It could have been a typographical error, but there was still an error in this old book. I was reading it in the 90s, and it came out a lot sooner than that. Years later, I went to a book signing with Brian Herbert and Kevin Anderson as they discussed the new Dune series, how they came about the idea to do it, and just a bunch of great stories on their process. They got pretty deep into it. They even talked about editing. One of the things they said was they sent it back and forth multiple times. I can't remember the exact number, but I do recall the number eight that they tossed it back and forth and each of them read each other's chapters and went through them multiple times before it went to a professional editor. And then in the hands of the professional editor, it was savaged and then sent back to them. And then they each gave it another one. And even with all of that work, two guys, that's that's their profession a professional editor, I still found a myriad of errors, tons of stuff that was just like, whoa, okay. I'm not a person who gets too bent out of shape over this. I understand how hard it is to get good editing. I worked as an editor for a small online press. And when I did my job, I would basically go through the document with multiple tools first. Just allow the automated tools to help me find some glaring errors before I dive in and do my part. That would really help clean the document up enough to where I wasn't looking at those things as I was reading through. I was, during my read through, looking for things that the automated process couldn't find or wouldn't find. Now, something to keep in mind is despite all that, I might have 400 recommendations for an author to take, probably more. Often it was quite a bit more. The author does not have to accept them. The author is not obligated to take my editing advice. Now, obviously, they're going to want to, especially on things like grammar or punctuation or stuff being outright wrong, tense jumps, head hops, whatever. But I mean, even that, they don't necessarily have to accept it, especially if they're paying me directly. So if I'm an editor that they've approached to put their book together so they can sell it themselves rather than through a publisher, then they have absolutely zero obligation 
to accept anything I say. Uh, unfortunately for me, as an editor, that is going to reflect poorly on me if they list my name in there. Someone will read the book and go, wow, this guy dropped the ball big time. But we have to remember, again, it's not like I changed the book. We use track changes when we edit books and we go through and we leave comments or we highlight sections or however your tool works to draw attention to the problems. That's basically what we do. We, we make no destructive changes to documents that are given to us. So keeping that in mind as you read a book or experience something that you find errors in, it may not always be the editor missed it or the author missed it. The author may have made a conscious choice to keep that. This is particularly true with dialogue and such. I mean, even the automated tools mess up with that all the time and draw attention to things within dialogue that it should ignore. Stuff that's maybe dialect-oriented, maybe someone's dropping Gs because they want the character to sound like they have a specific accent or whatever the case may be. These are distractions for the editor who have to go through and ignore certain elements of what they're reading. Ultimately, the point is, editing is a hard job, and the pay reflects it. For example, a 70,000-word book at two cents a word is going to cost an author $1,400 to get their book edited. And they have to decide if that's worth the return of investment. Are they going to appease enough people? Is it going to elevate their sales enough to make that money back to make a professional editor worth the price? Because let's be honest, the way that people are consuming media these days, it may not necessarily be worth it. Grammarly might be good enough. Grammarly and a couple of beta readers and you reading it out loud may be enough for your audience. Yes, you will get the reviews of this could have been edited better. You get the people complaining about it. But honestly, from my experience, and when I say that, I mean looking at books that I know for a personal fact were not professionally edited and still have hundreds of reviews and are doing extremely well. I know that those books are doing just fine without all that editing. And the person who put the book out saved themselves at least a thousand, if not $2,000 that they got to put in their pocket instead, because people are reading stuff really quick. I mean, I hear about people reading four or five books a week. They're just devouring them and some bad editing, unless it's like so insanely poor that it's distracting like every sentence is wrong or something these people can get through it their brains are filling in the details they're just correcting as they fly practically and maybe at the end when they leave a review they're like eh, the editing was a little crap and i still enjoyed the story but regardless an author has to weigh whether or not editing is going to be worth the time for them now in the case of somebody who knows that their audience are very intense about editing, maybe you are somehow writing to other writers or professional critics or reviewers or whatever. You just know that the people that you are addressing really care about editing. Then probably is worth the money because you'll get savaged by them. 
if you're a part of any Facebook group that talks about editing, you'll see very quickly that uh, the people who are intense about it, the people who really care about editing will not hesitate for a hot second to call someone out. And this is true of just about everything on the internet these days. The vocal minority, and I hate to say it, but I think that the people who are really intense about editing are the vocal minority, always sound like they represent a vast number of people, and they really don't. A great example is when The Last of Us 2 had the major leak where story decisions were released long before the game came out. People were talking like it was done, the game was going to flop, and I was convinced of it. They totally tricked me with their rhetoric and their intensity when it comes to just discussing all that stuff. They made it really sound like the vast majority of fans were just done and going to turn their backs on the series. Then the game came out and it was the highest selling game on PlayStation. So I really learned my lesson about the vocal minority there because they were just so intense and they just sounded so convinced. And that's the thing we have to remember about anything. But in particular, and in this topic, editing People believe that it is the be-all, end-all, and I'm here to tell you it's not. You absolutely should do your level best to put out a quality product. I am not saying that you should just throw stuff out there and not care. It is important to edit your work. It's important to reread it and do everything in your power to make it great. But is a professional editor going to improve the product's efficiently to make it worth the money? That's the question you have to ask. Now, there's ways to find out. I'm going to discuss that in just a moment. I'm going to first talk about how I go through and do my initial edits and the things that I do. I do get pretty intense about it. I want to have a close to perfect product. I aim for it, but I know that perfect is not necessarily going to happen, even with those editors. And sometimes if you don't have an editor that really understands your genre or your style, You might be counterproductive anyway because they're going to call things out that are part of your style, things that you want to be in the product. They're going to call out as errors. And that's something else to discuss, which I'll talk about in a moment. So first, my method is once I've finished a product and I feel it's ready, I run it through multiple editors. I use Grammarly, Perfectit, White Smoke, and Word Editor. Now, the Word Editor I use these days because it catches absolutely glaring problems. And quite frankly, it finds some good stuff. So using that doesn't take very long and it helps me just catch the the typos more than anything. Grammarly goes a lot more in depth and it has hundreds of suggestions on just about every product, no matter how good it is. I've even copy and pasted other people's works in there and it's like, I've got lots to say. So Grammarly is going to give you a really good uh, foundation to build on when you're doing your editing. Perfected I use primarily to catch inconsistencies, names that have changed throughout the novel that the other editors didn't catch, that kind of thing. Once I'm done with my editing software, I personally read the book out loud to myself. Uh, With no one else in the room is what I mean. And reading out loud pretty much helps me catch the majority of my problems, in my opinion. At least for that phase of the editing process. Once I've done that, 
I ship the book off to multiple beta readers and a couple of them are really intense and read a lot of books and they know what to look for. Once they're done, they come back with all of their suggested changes and sometimes they're good enough to catch things like, well, this character did X over here and now they're doing Y over here. Is that what you intended? And I'm able to make those changes too. But primarily they catch glaring typos and that sort of thing and help me with that. When I'm finally done at that point, I will read it out loud again as if I'm going to do an audio book. And if the book stands up at that point, I'm good with it. Now, I have used professional editors after all of that. Most professional editors will give you a sample. Maybe they'll do a chapter or a few pages. Usually you need at least a chapter to see their style and see how they work. I've submitted a chapter after I've done all of my work on a book. And the biggest thing they did was nitpick a little bit, which is nice if that's what you care about. If you want to go through and nitpick some small things that aren't really a problem, but maybe might clean it up, maybe, then in in my case, that would have been a good thing. They were calling out stuff that I didn't care about. Things like, I don't really like how you described this. Well, that's I'm not going to change that because of an editor. I want the editor to find problems, not things that they just didn't like. I don't need a critic to read the book. I need somebody to help me clean it up and make it into the glistening product that everyone talks about. And if they can't do that, if they're just going to latch on to a sentence that they didn't exactly resonate with or uh, they didn't like how I described someone's eyes, I don't really care about that stuff. A newer author might be very interested in those things. It might really help them. And if you look at the cost of an editor as an educational tool, something to show you what maybe you need to focus on with your writing to improve it, then that price might actually have value to you. But $1,500 for a 75,000 word book is a lot of money that you have to recoup with all of your sales. And if you're going to do an audiobook and you can't do it on your own, then you're looking at another couple thousand dollars potentially. And now we're looking at having to make back $3,000 just in editing and creation of an audiobook. And that's not to mention your marketing and your cover design and your topography if you want to print physical copies of the book. And at a certain point, it might start to look like this is just a really expensive hobby if you don't have a big audience. Let's talk about the process of picking an editor. This is a job that you're hiring for. And as such, you should be interviewing anybody that you consider to do the task. You have some responsibilities and so do they. The vast majority of professional editors are going to be used to this. They're going to be ready to answer some questions. You don't need to be a maniac. You don't have to treat it like a corporate job and ask them where they see themselves in five years or whatever. But you really do need to make sure that they understand your genre, that they like that kind of work, that they're not going to nitpick it with the eye of someone who only reads X style but in reality, your book is dramatically different than that. That's not really what you want. Now, at the same time, you're hiring for a position that you need to trust is going to be objective and give you good information when they finally do present their findings. 
So in a way, they are nitpicking your work, so they can't love it so much that they are like giving it a pass. They really do need to be very honest. But you want to ask them, do you understand the tropes of my genre? Do you know what the dialogue generally looks like? Have you read these kind of books before? Do you enjoy them enough to where it's not going to annoy you reading these things? And then you want to see a sample of their work. Often they'll give you a sample of one chapter from your project. You just give it to them and they'll give you an edit and you could see if you like how they communicate. And that's another thing is you really need to know that they're going to communicate in a way that makes sense to you. A lot of times you hear that editors need to be really harsh and that's not at all true. They're working with you and as a result, they can be tactful. And that's not to say that you should be super delicate about your work. You have given it to them to find flaws in it. So you need to have somewhat of a thick skin, but they shouldn't be abusive either. And you kind of need to understand where they're coming from before you really commit to the full project. And that's where that sample comes in. If their comments are just brutal, then maybe that's not for you. And honestly, I'd say that's not for anyone. There are a few people who do really respond well to just harsh criticism. I, I prefer something a little bit more constructive, not just like this is terrible and this is why it's terrible. I don't, I don't really dig that. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's just disparaging for the sake of being disparaging. And since you're supposed to be partnering with them, they should be looking for constructive ways to help you make it better. Not necessarily just calling it crap because part of the problem with that is if you see that too many times as a writer, especially a newer writer, you might feel like, wow, I just need to rewrite this completely. And that may not necessarily be the case. It might be. It might be. You have to be open to the possibility. But if it's gotten this far that you're willing to spend that kind of money, chances are good you've already done pretty extensive rewrites. You've written a second or even third draft. And you just need to make sure you find the right editor who can make it better and not necessarily tell you this is just total garbage and you need to start over from scratch. Unless you get multiple opinions on the same wavelength, you know, maybe your beta readers are like, ooh, this really does need another, another draft. And if that's the case, so be it. But remember, the editor is there to help you. You're paying them money. You should be able to work with them and you shouldn't be afraid to ask questions and really dive into what it is they're going to present to you. And oftentimes you can give them enough of a sample of your book that they can even tell you if it's worth your time for them to do it. It might be that they're going to look at something and say, I'm sorry, but I see so many flaws in the first chapter or whatever, that if the book continues along that line, it would actually cost you more than two cents a word because I'm going to be really, really busy and it's just going to be not worth it to me. I haven't seen that happen very often. Certainly not when I was an editor with the uh, small press and not really too often with anything that I've presented, but I suppose it could happen. I'm not even sure how an editor would present that uh, in a positive way or how they could spin it. Um, I suspect they probably just increased the price, but I'm not sure. So it really is important that you put your best foot forward before you send it to them. Don't send them a first draft. Don't start looking around for an editor the minute you finish the last chapter, do your due diligence, rewrite the parts that need it well before that. You're a professional as well. 
be sure that you take the time to understand your craft and what you could do better before you get them. In many ways, considering how expensive editors are, I would consider them to be the place to get your work polished, not fixed. If there's dramatic fixing, like plot elements or, you know, misplaced characters or uh, all kinds of things that could be broken within the story itself, you should catch that or your beta readers should catch that. The editor should not be like, well, you know, (laughs) in chapter five, this character's name changes and then it pops back and forth throughout the whole book. They shouldn't be catching that kind of thing. That's on you. Make sure that you gather as many of those problems and take care of them prior to sending it off. Again, it's a really expensive proposition to hire an editor. And when you get them, you want them to be doing the work that is most important to you, which is catching the stuff you missed. And then finally, even if you spend that money, even if you give them whatever you guys agree to, you have to remember that they're still human and they still might miss things. This is how we get those errors in the books like Dune or even some Stephen King works that I've read. You still have errors. It's going to probably happen. And yeah, eventually you might be able to stamp them all out. There's a hilarious meme, and I'm going to use that in quotes, that talks about the best way to find a typo is to meticulously edit and send it to multiple people and reread it and read it out loud and then publish it and then open to a random page and there you'll find a typo. And what I find funny about that is that we see those kinds of memes talking about editing and catching mistakes and all this other stuff. We see those on every writing group that exists. They always post them because it's true. And yet you still get the folks on those forums and those groups talking trash about how, oh my goodness, I found six errors in this whole long book and it ruined it for me and I had to just stop. And so it's funny that we celebrate the fact that, yeah, we all know that there's going to be mistakes and we're going to find them later. But at the same time, we've got folks who are like, you can't have any mistakes ever and it needs to be perfect. And this is from independent people publishing books that are not in the big industry of publishing. What I find funny about it is this. I was talking with um, Nelly in my last podcast um, about uh, various parts of her writing and that sort of thing and how she goes about it. And she's got beta readers and editors and all kinds of stuff like that too. And I was really thinking about all the things that we have to do as artists these days. And it's not just in writing, it's in everything. You have to be a professional and then just make a list. So in music, you've got to be able to play the music. You've got to be able to write it, sing it, arrange it, record it, (laughs) mix it, master it, prepare it for distribution, do the artwork, do the marketing, book the shows, find the places to go, uh, create the merchandise, Find people to help you sell it. I mean, we do everything as artists now. Because every little thing that you bring someone else in for, unless for some reason they decide to donate their time, is more money that you don't get back. It's more money you have to risk that you won't get a return of your investment on. So if you hire a graphic artist to do your merchandise, then whatever you paid them 
you may or may not get back. It just depends on how awesome they happen to be and if they've got a following too. And this goes the same for writing too. In writing, you've got to be the author. You've got to be the marketer. You've got to be the cover designer unless you want to go out and buy a a pre-made cover, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But in some cases, it's not going to be exactly what you want which is one of the reasons that I got into creating covers in the first place is that I just couldn't quite find exactly what I wanted. So I had to do it myself. But each thing that you do on your own is more money in your pocket when you finally put your work out there and allow other people to enjoy it. And so when we see these people giving everyone a hard time about editing or whatever, their book covers... Uh, In some cases, they have paid other people to do these things, too. That's one of my favorite parts. It's really unfair because either they aren't thinking about the fact that this is a industry now that or an industry that we have to do so much on our own or they just don't care. And they just imagine that everything should be perfect, period, Uh, that that if it's on Amazon, then it had the same resources and rigorous process that Harper Collins put it through. And I'm just using that name off the top of my head, but well, let's just take an author that Stephen King's books go through. And that's just not true. There's just, I mean, I don't even remember the number. It was an astronomical number of books that get published to Amazon every single day. And we all know that the vast majority of those books are not going through any rigorous process at all. Not editing, not cover design, nothing. It's just someone writing a book and throwing it out there and hoping. And in some cases, they've hired ghostwriters from Fiverr or Upworks. In some cases, they've just thrown it together themselves. Uh, Many people haven't even read a book in 12 years and they decide to write one, so they're not up on the current tropes or how it should even look or how they should format And sometimes these books sell because maybe instead of being a great author, they happen to be a great marketer. And in some cases, as I've seen plenty of times, there's books on Amazon that have ridiculous numbers of reviews, tons of sales, and they are just poorly written, poorly edited. And the people who are reading it just don't care because they are consuming it. Maybe they just like the story. Maybe they were sold on the marketing, but the ones that I'm referring to have mostly positive reviews. So right there, you have to wonder what really is important. Now, all that said, I'm not saying, and I know I've said this earlier in this podcast, I'm not saying that editing is not important. And I really, truly, honestly believe that whenever you put a piece of art out there, you should do your absolute best to make it great. And it should be to your level or better. In other words, you should push yourself to make it better than you normally would be able to. When I say normally, I mean, if I can mix and master music and I understand the basic concepts of that, then when I approach a new project, I should try and push my talents to the next level. I should maybe listen back on my first attempt at that song and then really think, is there anything I'm missing? Do some research, watch some videos, maybe take a course on Udemy or something about mixing and mastering and see if there is anything I can do better. 
and then apply that knowledge to the work you're doing. And the same goes with writing. If you have created a great book, you've spent 300 hours writing it or whatever, you don't want to put out a piece of trash. You don't want it to get trashed because you didn't take the next step. You've already spent this much time. There's no reason not to spend a little bit more and make sure that you get the best possible product. In other words, polish it as well as you can. Now, the pursuit of perfect is the enemy of good, and you might be able to get it to a point that you'd consider good. Now, the next question you need to ask is, can I make it great? Perfect is not going to happen for a lot of reasons. Even if you somehow manage the miracle of eliminating every editing error in a book, there's still something that someone's going to find, whether it's a plot point or some dialogue they didn't like, whatever the case may be. Perfect doesn't exist because you simply can't please everyone. So someone's not going to like some element of it, and that immediately takes perfect off the table. So we need to go to great, and our skill level determines what great is for us. And while you might be like disappointed at the end of your project because it's not to the level you were hoping, the goal is you've created this project and you've finished it and you got as close to that goal as you could, your task at that point is to measure the difference between where you ended up and where you wanted to be so that you can apply it to the next project. One of the things that a lot of folks do, and this is true of artists for every medium, is we create something and we get done with it and we're like, oh my goodness, I know that this could be better if I just did X, Y, and Z. You need to make some hard decisions at that point. Number one, how long is it going to take to do X, Y, and Z? Is it the same length of time that it would take to just create a new project? Or is it like a 20 minute thing that would make it a lot better? If it's, I could make something brand new, then don't revisit that same thing. Try something new and see if your newfound skills for making the last one apply better than the first one. And now I'm saying that because in some cases, when we're creating that draft or that creation that we think could be better might have intrinsic flaws that we won't have in the next attempt, in the next project, in the next piece of art or book or whatever. And focusing too much on that one and just trying to chip away at the edges can sometimes be destructive to our creative process, can become very daunting and difficult to become inspired to keep working on it because we've been at it for too long. Great example for me is that I worked on a series of songs for two years and I just chiseled away at them incessantly. And there was a whole bunch of stuff that I had to do to make them in my mind great. But what they really came down to was I would have needed to re-record them because the tracks themselves were done in such a way that I did the absolute best that I personally could with them at that point in my career. And even revisiting them later, I listened. And then at that point, because I'd moved on and done other things, my revisit was actually fruitful. 
I saw the things that I needed to do to the tracks independently, how to change them in order to make them sound the way I wanted to originally. Sometimes that's what we have to do. Walk away, make something new. You don't necessarily have to release every single thing you do. Now, if you are a professional and you're creating a series, that may not be true. But in that case, you're probably pumping these out in a way that you understand exactly what to do and how to make them great for your readers and your audience. So it's not quite as intense as uh, as what I'm talking about. Focusing solely on brand new artists and writers, it's really important that you do not mire yourselves in a particular project to the point where you can't think about the next one. Uh, one of the things that people always talk about is getting the squirrel syndrome. They're working on this book and then at the grocery store, they got a great idea for a completely different story. And then they've got to decide, well, what am I going to do? And they write it down and, and keep it for later. Maybe you should probably get to the point where the first one you worked on, you can wrap it up and then start working on that next great idea and if you have to revisit the last one, if you're a new author, this is really important because what if this new idea is actually better than the one you've been working on? I like new writers to finish things because that is a huge monument in what you're doing. And if you're really close to finishing, do it, have the discipline, push through, but don't, don't deny yourself inspiration because inspiration is pretty hard to come by sometimes. I've talked a lot about writer's block and getting past it and that sort of thing. So for a new writer, I tend to be like, you need to write down that new idea and put it aside until you finish the one you're working on. Now, if you do have this fantastically great idea, maybe you don't polish the first one before you jump on the next one. And then you can come back to the first one with a fresh pair of eyes. If you wait three, four weeks, maybe two months and go back to your old project, you're practically like an editor at that point because you're not going to have remembered every single detail of that book. And you're going to be able to read it with a fresh set of eyes and really go at it hard. You can even be as brutal as some of the editors are. It's a lot easier to be mean to yourself than it is to have someone who is effectively a stranger come in and just start beating down the project that you spent so much time on. So think about that when you're going at your work and think about how you can embrace as much inspiration as possible, how you can polish without trying to get to perfect, how you can get to great for your skill level and, and really an, analyze the next steps to get to the next level, to get to the level you want to be at. If you're reading Dean Koontz and you're like, I really want to be able to write the way he does and I want to be as compelling and you don't feel your work is to that standard yet, figure out what you have to do to get there. What is different about your work than his? What parts of yours don't you like? Is it the dialogue? Is it how you describe things? Is it the way that you create tension? There are countless self-help books on how to create all of these things. Uh, emotional dialogue, three-dimensional characters, plot, on and on and on. Creating scenes, whatever it is that you feel your deficit in, go read a book about it. Pick up that skill set. That's how you polish your work in the long run, is you identify the weaknesses and you correct them for later. You don't necessarily harp on the same project over and over and over again. 
this is particularly important in a day where some people are putting out a new book every month to support their fan base. And they do eight book series or 10 book series every year or whatever. And they have got to be able to just jump to the next book every time. And it can't be, I'm going to endlessly polish this first one. I don't necessarily agree with the mentality, but in the culture of people consuming these books so quickly, it, it becomes important that an author has the ability to generate content quickly on the alternative. If that's not what you're after, if you're not here to write tons of books, if you've just got this one story idea, maybe you're doing a autobiography or a memoir, then, you know, this isn't really for you. It's not going to help you as much as the new writer who wants to generate, you know, I don't know, 50 books in their lifetime because they've just got so many great ideas just bursting in their head and they want to, they just want to create all the time. I'm primarily focusing on them. When it comes to doing a one-off book, then, you know, whatever your resources will permit, there are tons of services out there that will help you. They'll edit, they'll create your book cover. You've got everything at your disposal that you want. In any event, that is my rant on editing. Don't listen to the naysayers. Do what you need to do to get better. Listen to the criticism, but don't take it to heart too much. Understand that even the professionals still have mistakes. And even if you're a professional, you're going to have mistakes. It's important to always strive to be better. You don't always have to be perfect. And anybody who pushes you in that direction or talks about that is just, they aren't really the voices you need to hear. The voices you need to hear are the reasonable ones that offer constructive criticism about how to avoid a particular mistake in the future, not just don't make mistakes. I mean, obviously that is not helpful for anything, let alone writing. So as you go forward, consider those things and always be nice to yourself. I mean, you're creating a book and if you've written a 50,000 word book even, or a hundred thousand word book, you've done something that a lot of people can't do. The number of folks I have talked to that get a quarter of the way through 10,000 words or even 20,000 words is pretty small. A lot of folks simply do not finish. And if you have finished, you've already beaten them out. Even if you've got tons of errors, it doesn't matter. You did something no one else does. And that's important. And that's to be celebrated. It's certainly not to be crapped on. So let's, uh, let's keep that in mind. And again, always be kind to yourself as an artist, because I mean, part of the benefit, part of the whole purpose is to bring your sensitivity to the table. It's really unfair to expect someone to be really vulnerable and write all this stuff and then immediately throw on a suit of armor to get attacked by folks who either don't get it or don't care or are just trolls or whatever. You've got to really think about who are they, where are they coming from and how much of their advice is advice you should take and how much of it is just stuff that's a pet peeve to them specifically because not everything that everyone says happens to be the law of the land anyway so that's all i want to talk about editing 
And I, I, I do want to move into something a little bit less intense and certainly controversial. So I've been working on the Malevolence role-playing game lately, and specifically the layout. Uh, I'd say it took me about 60 hours to get it done because I've never done anything like this before. It had background images for each page. It had a bunch of graphics and artwork, charts, columns, different headers. It was really intense. And I have to say it was a lot of fun, but I can definitely give credit where it's due. The folks who do this professionally and all the time are freaking awesome. And I, uh, I'd like to bow my head to them because this was a lot of work. And as cool as I think it looks, it was actually a lot tougher than I anticipated when I started. In fact, I did the first couple of chapters and I thought, wow, this is really easy. This is going to be really fast. I'll have it done by dinner. And that mentality really bit me in the butt because here I am. I think I started on Thursday and as of today, it's Wednesday and I'm not quite finished because I'm doing a sort of a quick reference guide at the very end of the book where you could flip to and and find everything to make characters and all that good stuff. But it has been very educational. And this is what I was talking about earlier about pushing yourself to learn new skills and new aspects of whatever it is you do. It's not necessarily that I couldn't have had somebody lay this out for me and pay them to do it, because in this case, there are people who are really good at this kind of thing. And while I am a total amateur in this regard, I had a very clear vision of how I wanted it to look. And I've got a lot of reference material sitting right behind me on the shelf, from Worlds of Darkness books to the brand new Dune role-playing game to Doctor Who. So plenty of things to look at to get inspiration for how it should look. So it's fairly certain I could do it myself. And as I dove into it, yes, I could. Did I make mistakes? Yes. And I know all of them now for the most part. Obviously, there's stuff that I didn't even know that I should have done. And I'll find that out later. But when you approach something like this, and in particular with my malevolence role-playing game, I kind of had this vision of it being a very artistic, very art-heavy book. Uh, when you start on this path, you find out all kinds of things about your limitations, about software limitations. You discover your computer's limitations. For example, I had Photoshop, InDesign, Word, and a uh, browser open along with Excel. And even though my computer is an absolute beast, I actually can't make it any better. There's no parts I could buy to make it better it still bogged down a little tiny bit. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but when I would save things in Photoshop, it would take a little bit more time. When I'd open things in Photoshop, it would be like, whoa, hold on. So it was very interesting to go down this path. And I recommend anybody who's trying something new like this to just go for it and see what you can do. Maybe don't take a week like I did just to just to see, maybe just do it for a couple days or even a few hours and test yourself. Is it something that I'm going to be able to pull off? You should know after a day or two, is it something that maybe I need a lot more help on than, like I said before, take a course or find something on YouTube, whatever. But it's really important as artists to push ourselves in some direction. Now I try to push myself in writing and doing music and stuff quite often 
But when it comes to these more fringe elements of the of the tasks, in this case, laying out a book, that doesn't happen that often. I don't do it all the time because quite frankly, physical books aren't really of that much value right now. For example, when I was going to the conventions, uh, I would sell people digital copies of books long before the physical ones, despite the fact that there were so many Lutites out there that were always talking about, I need physical copies. Well, I didn't sell as many physical copies as I would turn around and sell digital ones. So there's not as much uh, reason to lay things out as there were. Now, with role-playing books, a lot of people still want to have those in their hands because it's easier to flip through for them. I personally have found that PDFs are so superior because you could just search them rather than have to flip through them the old-fashioned way. But regardless, in this case, this was my push. This was me trying to make myself better at something that I was not necessarily as talented at. So... Um, I've really enjoyed the process and that's something else really important too, is if you are going to push yourself in this way, then make sure you you're doing something that's fun. Don't just grind yourself for no reason. It's a surefire way to make you really despise whatever art or project you're working on. You can quickly be like, Oh my God, why did I even think of this idea? Let alone pursue it like this. So it's really important. Make sure that you are enjoying yourself and that it is beneficial. You know, you don't necessarily want to go out and learn something about your craft that won't have any benefit whatsoever. I always talk about return of investment. That's not just about money. It's about time. If it's going to take you 20 hours to learn how to do something that may or may not really benefit you, really consider whether or not you should even do it. Uh, There may be something that you could use your time more wisely. So a great example is I had a friend who decided that he was going to build a website from the ground up and he had no experience doing web design. And as a result, his webpage was okay. It wasn't great. And had he used one of the things like Weebly or Wix or whatever, it would have just looked better. And maybe, yeah, those are generic, but let's be honest. Is it better to look like you've used one of those and have it be polished and and look good? Or is it okay to have an amateur-looking website that breaks with every update? I mean, those are those are the questions you need to ask. Is web design going to benefit me? Is learning how to build a website from the ground up, either using WordPress or whatever... Is that something that will help my career or my hobby or whatever? And if not, don't do it. Web design is only one of my options. I mean, there's there's dozens. I mean, is it going to benefit you to become a master at mixing music as a person who does music? Or could you hire someone to do it for a reasonable enough rate that it makes sense to you? Are you making the money that it wouldn't matter if you have someone else do it? Then do that. You know, learning some of these things is very time consuming and to become great at them is even more time consuming. Being a excellent mixing engineer or a mastering engineer, those are lifelong goals in many people's view. I mean, it's more art than science with a lot of science behind it. And so you have to think, is this something I want to commit to? It's going to take time. And here's something 
I spent that time to learn how to do those things. And when I didn't use them for a few months, I lost a lot of the knowledge because these are lifelong pursuits. And again, like I said before, even though we have to wear a lot of hats, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of the hats will be worn evenly. So as we're doing whatever it is we do, X hat might only come out once in a blue moon, in which case we're in a lot of trouble when we need it again, because after four months of not using it, we've got to relearn a whole bunch of stuff. Is it harder? No. I mean, you'll, it'll come back quick enough for the most part, but nuances might get lost. And so that's sort of where we're at as artists now is you really have to consider, is it going to benefit me to learn it? Will it save time and money? And will it just be a headache later if I don't continue to use this skill? InDesign for me is just like that. I hadn't opened InDesign and I have no idea how long. I'm now probably a power user for InDesign after the amount of time I've used it for over the last week. Because, I mean, it's been the only thing I've lived in recently. But will that be true in December if I don't lay out another book before then? Probably not. I'll have to relearn a whole lot of things. And I mean, that's that's how I thrive. So it's okay for me. But that may not be okay for everyone. Anyway, I hope all of this was either inspirational or at least provided you with some good information. I hope you can take some of it with you and feel better about editing and really embrace the concepts I've talked about. Uh, I look forward to sharing the malevolence game with you all and you can see what I've been up to. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a very different kind of role-playing game than I've seen before. So it should be very interesting when people get their hands on it. Um, I want to thank you very much for listening to the show today. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, visit the website at www.societycasefiles.com. And if you want to support the project, please visit www.ko-fi.com slash societycasefiles. Thank you very much for stopping by today, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye now.